Before we start today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Zencaster, which is a podcaster's best friend. Trust me when I tell you this, Zencaster is like the Shopify for podcasters. It's all you need to get up and running as a podcaster. And the best thing about Zencaster is that you get so much stuff for free. If you are planning to check out the platform, then please show your support for the Founder Thesis podcast by using this link, zen.ai slash Founder Thesis. That's zen.ai slash Founder Thesis. Hi, this is Sanjeev Agarwal, founder and CEO of M Plus Energy Solutions, which is a renewable energy platform. Take a minute, stop. Ready? Let's go. This could be a great intro. <laughs> Our guest today belongs to that rarest of rare breed of founders who have built and scaled a business all the way to a handsome cash exit for its investors. Sanjeev Agarwal decided to quit his job because of a fundamental problem he saw in how India's power sector works. But having an insight does not lead to a business and it took him many years and multiple pivots to finally discover product market fit with Amplus Solar, which is Asia's leading rooftop solar power generation company. And in 2019, his persistence paid off when Amplus Solar was acquired by the Malaysian petroleum giant Petronas for rupees 2,700 crores. Here, Sanjeev telling Akshay Dutt about his amazing journey of building and scaling up Amplus Solar. From the campus placement, I got placement in SBI Capital Markets, which has investment banking subsidiary of the State Bank of India, and we started working straight away on the. project financing of power projects so that was the initiation into the power sector so the first job sometimes is often it is beyond control what type of job you will got you will get but what profile you will get in the company where you join so it became all like a probably something which was scripted in some sense that okay you will start working in the power sector and you will start working on this type of thing and then one thing led to another and i continued working in the power sector on various things right from project financing into project development into the consulting side and finally in 2010 after going through four or five jobs by that time we started so like you would be working with the like government companies or like private infrastructure players for their so uh, so project development was happening with the last job uh, which i did well with aes aes corporation is one of the largest ipps in the world and the us based company listed on new york stock exchange a fortune 200 company so i was heading the india business development from 2004 till 2010 at between sbi caps and aes i worked also with crisil heading their power practice consulting i also worked in europe on some of the power trading assignments so these were like some couple of the things that i did between those 15 years so an ipp is a independent power producer oh, that's okay. the okay and they would be selling to the discoms the, the state state owned uh, distribution companies so to the distribution companies as a generators so what made you feel that you want to like you know quit your job and take that risk of starting up becoming an entrepreneur so i think two things which sort of always reasonably excited me was that one that you find that you want you're not always happy with the workplace because you are you find that there are a lot of policies which are not to the liking of people so can you create a very differentiated workplace where people really like to come and work So that was one of the things. The second thing is that while you have done whatever you have done in the job, is it happening because you 
are getting the strength of an organization or is it happening partly because of you also so it's a test of yourself so do you want to go out and try that uh, am i am i a reflection of the card that i'm carrying or am i a reflection of myself but uh, so, i mean like 2010 you know the whole concept of quitting a job and starting up was not socially acceptable also and uh, i'm sure you would have been married by then with some family commitments also and like you know how did you justify it to people around you that what is it you want to do and why you're taking that risk so i don't think i have to i have to really justify to anyone i think it's more like uh, when you're taking the decision obviously you have the family commitments and you want to make sure that whatever you have things are there you are able to take care of those so i was reasonably sure that i'll be able to take care of those things for say like next two years but either i make it work in next two years or do i have enough skills enough experience to go back into the job market and take a job there is no certainty that you will ever succeed right so you need to have a you don't need to be heroic you don't need to be saying no no i'm going to change the world you need to be practical about the whole thing and think that okay i will go ahead and try it and i have got some sort of a financial cushion to handle these next 2 3 years and during this period if we are successful great if you're not successful well, what is my backup plan will i be starving to death after that if i'm if i'm feeling or will i get a job back so with a 15 years of experience and a good educational background you can be reasonably assured that you may not get, you may not find a job of 100% you may find a job 70% is that 70% enough for me to survive yes it is so therefore go ahead mm, okay and what was the opportunity you saw that you wanted that made you feel that yes i can build a business in this space i see this opportunity yeah, i think the opportunity was there that having seen the distribution companies and the power sector for last 15 years one of the thing which was continuing and is still continues is about the financial condition of the distribution companies you, they don't make enough money they spend more on their expenses side than what they make on the revenue side in some form they are like subsidized a, by the government yeah, in some form they are slow form of e-commerce uh, e-commerce faster <laughs> these guys are like a slow burner right so in some form they continue to spend more than what they were earning and they continue to do that so if you want to work in that industry where your off taker is not able to make your ends meet you can't survive as a supplier you are in the bad news so therefore what will you what will you do so what you want to do is to find out the customers who can actually pay for it who are those customers so we said like okay there are customers there are consumers large consumers who want to purchase power directly and there is a regulation there is a regulatory system there is a policy framework which actually enables that can we actually make it happen by supplying electricity directly to some of these customers and say that okay now i am your supplier i am also part of your supplier and i will give you power cheaper than what your alternate cost is so obviously it makes huge sense for them to purchase from us but the challenge is still remain to manage the regulatory and the policy framework around that that was the business opportunity in my mind reaching out directly to the customer so was this uh, like allowed in black and white that an ipp or independent power producer can directly sell to let's say uh, large manufacturers or you know the, yeah. like large power consuming companies yeah yes this was there under the 2003 electricity act there is a provision for providing open access and purchase of power directly but often the frameworks are there but you need to get them really implemented and, and how would it be implemented like it's just about running a line from the ipp to the plant or? 
Yeah, so it sounds very simple that you can set up a power plant, you can set up a transmission line and start giving electricity to them. But in practice, it is much more difficult because you are like working with an incumbent utility and the customer is already buying from them. So what you're trying to do is to take away some of their customers who are high paying customers. And therefore, you will find quite a bit of the regulatory hassles. So you need to create a full framework to make it work alongside. You can't simply say that I will be here and I will be fighting with you and I will be supplying electricity. So that cannot happen. No, but tell me how, what exactly you need to do to make this kind of a commercial arrangement work out. So the so the I think the fortunately what one thing which happened in the renewable space the government also became little more tolerant of promoting the renewable energy and said that okay if you want to supply renewable energy we will provide you some extra regulations which can make this happen. So, so the regulations happened in that sense that you can set up the rooftop plants, you can do the net metering of those plants, you can set up open access large plants, you can use our transmission system to transmit the electricity. So those types of regulations came into effect during that period. And that's how a lot of customers were actually able to procure electricity from us. Okay. So your uh, original uh, concept when you quit was that you want to figure out a way for an IPP to supply and like you wanted to be like a platform that works with IPPs on one hand and large consumers on the other hand or you wanted to set up your own IPP and own IPP not okay uh, not like a trader okay so so when did you figure out that you need to pivot into renewable and you know tell me that journey like you know from from launch to making that pivot yeah. so 2010 was the time when Amplus was uh, started initially I was working on coal-based plants because coal was the flavor of the season and that was the only thing which I actually knew. So we are working on some like like a 100 megawatt, 200 megawatt type of coal plants and saying that, okay, we'll sell to the steel mill, we'll sell to a refinery or we'll sell to a cement plant. So can there be these smaller plants? But these are either within their campus, we sell electricity to them. But since 2010, after that, there were no new coal plants which are allowed because the coal linkages were never given up. Like this was an on-paper plan you made? Like when you say you were working on yeah. coal plant, means you made like a project plan and then you would have gone to a bank and... Yes, no, went out, but not not to the banks. When you go first to the customers, you try to find out where the plant can be set up, how you will get coal, etc. Because if everything looks proper, only then you go to the bank. Banks are not going to let you on day one. There has to be a project for that. So that was thinking during, say, initial six, nine months. And that very quickly it was allowed because whole thing some completely imploded because of the whole thing. Because there was no access to coal. Like access to coal is uh, the key thing to... Probably stop that coal linkage allocation because of various controversies around that time. Yeah, there was some scam also, right, around coal procurement and so coal block, coal blocks were allocated and there were a lot of controversy and disputes around those things. So, and the government said, like, we are not giving any further coal allocations unless this dispute is resolved. In between, so around 2011, the new thing which came in town was a reliance announcement of a big gas finding in PG6 Basin. So... I said like, okay, this looks like a good opportunity. So why don't we set up a gas-based plant? The coal is not happening. So started working on a gas plant and developed probably one of the one of the last plants in the which were being set up for the gas. 
So we had the land, we had the environmental clearance, we had gas allocation, but suddenly the gas vanished. So Reliance announced we miscalculated and the gas is not there. So probably another six, nine months were spent on that thing. And then you... All this while you were essentially like a solo entrepreneur, like this would have been large. Not exactly solo. I won't say solo. So I always had few people, two, three people, but very specific to the technology very specific to the type of thing that we were doing. So when I was working on the coal plants, so we had people who were experienced on the coal side, technical side. Some people were working on the development side. It was gas, some people who are experienced on the gas side. So because I'm not a technical person myself, despite being an engineer. So we need, and particularly when you're going out to the investors and to the banks, you need to have a full team with a full capability. You can't say that I am the only one who will pull the whole thing through. Nobody will need you. Right? You're not a... Unless you are a Elon Musk. <laughs> so I think, I don't think even Elon Musk started alone when he started PayPal or whatever. So things, things happen over a period of time. Then after gas, it was, uh, it was more moving towards renewable. So wind was the first thing that we tried. And wind was, we saw a little more success than the first two ones. The coal didn't happen, wind uh, gas saw a little bit of success. Wind saw a little more success. That at least the like gas gas remained on paper, or did you like actually? No. So the project project got all the approvals, etc. But then it remained on paper, and then you then pivoted toward wind. Wind was getting more traction from the investing community, from the private equity investors, and all that. So wind we did even more work, and it almost reached to the extent of getting a on. Um, like $200 million commitment from a large private equity fund. And then looks like now things are sorted. That are like one third, but probably you never know the latter. And that was the time when I had Guru Inder join me. Guru was working with me in the AES and then he had more experience in renewable than I had. So obviously it was a, it was a good thing to have him on board. But unfortunately, wind also could not happen. Because because I think the issue became more like the timing issue. We ended up uh, investing quite a bit of money in procuring or like trying to do a buyout of a wind project. And the, and the final commitment from the private equity fund that we were speaking with did not happen. So it led to quite a bit of a financial setback also. But then we said like it's probably, it's probably not prudent to be completely dependent on the external capital providers to do something that you want to do. You need to take four steps and show things on the ground before people can completely trust you and give you the value for that. So that's how we moved finally into the rooftop projects. So rooftop projects by definition are very small and one can actually, with a, with a 50 lakh rupees type of capital, one can set up a plant. So that's how we started. So we collected some almost two crore rupees from various friends and family and loan resources, whatever left and said, okay, okay let's set up two crores of this money. It is another four or five crores from the banks and do the initial one or two megawatt. And I think that that became a little bit of a turning point and also mix of various things, including that the pricing of uh, solar was coming down. There was more desire from the government side to promote solar. And the companies and the corporates are looking to procure more of renewable energy. So a lot of things have to fall in place. And then these things started falling in place. And then you had initial few one, plans. That, like one, yeah. one question here. Uh, you said pricing of solar started coming down. Uh, how is that a plus? Uh, because that would mean your, your realization. Yeah, because you're selling to the customers directly. And the customers will always compare it with the alternate cost. 
right so if my alternate cost is cheaper than what the what the grid cost is if i'm giving them solar cheaper than the grid cost then only it makes sense for that and why was pricing coming down so it was more like the economies of scale in the module manufacturing in china so the cost of the, the investment needed to set up that plants was getting getting lower and lower you didn't have to invest so much upfront money to set up Okay. If you really look at between 2011 and 2017-18, the costs of solar modules came down by almost 80%. So it was on a downward slope at that time. So it started making sense for customers to buy this electricity directly from us. And we said, like, oh, you don't need to worry about the technology risk. You don't need to worry about the capital risk. You consume your electricity in the format that you have been doing it. And we will take all this risk. We'll set up the plant for you and we will just uh, sell you the electricity under a long-term contract. So it's like a no-brainer type of a thing if you look from a customer perspective that is not taking away anything from me. I don't have to invest anything. Fine, okay, go ahead. But it's still it was an adoption. Yeah. Did you uh, discover this model uh, right in the first project you did, or was this a like an evolution? No, no, from the first this? project itself. From the first project okay. itself. What was, was the first project? Like, tell me that the story of the first project. Who was the, the customer? First we did was with an engineering college in Nagpur, college called Raisoni, GH Raisoni Engineering College. And the promoter there, Sunil Raisoni, is a fairly forward-looking person. And he had been thinking about solar, that we should do solar and we should, because like it's in the newspaper, people read it and who are progressive people will also realize that there can be something about it. Then somehow through we connect, we reached out to him and then I told him that we will do this thing for you and you don't even have to spend your money. So he liked the idea and we started setting up the first plant, which was like 100 kilowatt. So for him, he will continue as an OPEX model. He just needs to pay per unit consumed. Plus, he needs to give you space. He would not charge you for space, right? The space he can charge from us, but then we'll charge him back. Yeah, that? okay. Okay, okay. The OPEX will go up for cost, right? Yeah. And like, did you have, I mean, what is the way in which this arrangement happens? Is it like a cost plus kind of a negotiation on what is the price per unit or no, how does like, that? You know, it's more like a negotiation, which is bilateral negotiation. It's more like a buyer and seller type of thing what you think is the value of the whole thing and you will have various methods of triangulation of the whole thing that what makes sense you will think okay this is what if i have to set it up this is what will cost me if i'm buying electricity from there this is what is going to cost me if i know correctly this is the capital cost how much returns he is making so you'll do all those calculations mentally and not like a open book type of a thing that i actually tell you my cost but that doesn't matter to them as long as it's cheaper than grid, that I mean, that would be the basic thing. But you, but you know the minds of the buyers. You always try to back calculate. So and like your own savings must have got totally used up by this time, right? But those those three years in which you yeah, were yeah. trying to do gas yes, and yes. wind and coal. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So borrowings were full swing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but but you you didn't want to give up. Like uh, it could have happened, right? Like. It could have happened. If it didn't happen, it could have happened. In the sense, like you always look at the next day and see if there is a progress happening. Is it worthwhile to continue or are you saying that it doesn't happen? And then you take the plan to other people that this is what we are doing. Are you willing to invest some more money? If you continue to see that interest, that gives you that confidence that you are probably on the right track. I guess uh, solar as an industry also was getting a lot of action in those days and therefore there would have been an yeah. investor like, like, like in terms of the angel investment that you got, there would have been some 
like positive interest because of the solar yeah so obviously people want to understand the so the industry that you are working in and with, when they are looking at as the whole as angel investor they probably don't know the whole brass tacks about whether they go by what you're telling them now it depends on your own honesty and the transparency what you're really telling them so people need to trust you that becomes really the important point there because the same story can be told by two people one people will invest other people will not invest and that's where the you comes about the credibility point so this college in nagpur so like you know what kind of revenue started once you implemented this how much did this cost you like this is like no revenue there is like a investment was some 75 lakhs or 80 lakhs and probably the revenue one will make out of that project will be say 15 lakh rupees a year so this uh, was 50 15 1515 that's not something which is going to be super helpful right not even 15 lakh maybe like more like 10 12 lakhs it's not super helpful from a continuity perspective it's like a, but you have a 15 year contract now uh, and you do like four or five contracts like that you can sh- go out and show to the investor that this is a proven model the proof of concept is there and there is a large market which can be handled through this particular model and that became the pitch going forward and that's how we finally were able to get the investment done by i square okay so after this uh, nagpur college project you got the investment we got few more projects we did with dominos we did with elton we did uh, dominos would have been their manufacturing setup or something like yeah, corporate yeah, office or something and all that stuff then it happened for i think twelve we were talking to yamaha at that time we had uh, harry potter so they four or five good names so that gave the confidence that people who are high quality customers are interested in buying it and there is a sort of a solution which has been implemented and which can be implemented is it like so you know what part i mean there are like multiple pieces of the puzzle you need to solve one is of course you need to get you need to convert a customer who agrees yeah. to the project then uh, you need to execute like you know in terms of that yeah. whole project management to set up a plant and mm-hmm. then you need to have a successful commercial arrangement in place tell me about each of these pieces like you know what was your strategy to get customers how hard or easy was it to do that execution of the project once it came in like you know were things available off the shelf was the ecosystem in place or like did you have to do a lot of things from scratch so then so i think from the customer perspective it is a you have to reach out to many customers customers take time to decide so you need to have a good pipeline of customers to really do that and at in those times it was like the only the more progressive customers will go for it because for people it was a very very new thing and a lot of customers will actually come back and say like oh okay so you are going to set up a plant for me and you are going to charge me less than that and you i don't have to pay anything for that So what is the catch? Yeah, okay. The catch? <laughs> okay. So it sounds too good to be true. So what is the catch there? Because people didn't understand how the whole thing is that, and then they will go back, and this is not something which is on the priority list for them to get it implemented because they are anyway getting the electricity. So is it going to make a difference to their life? Probably not. So they will take their own sweet time to decide, and you have to be literally on their toes to say, be like, okay. now we need to decide and you have to keep on following is like a typical sales process so obviously it's not something which is a which you can do on day one and expect things to happen very very fast so there has to be one set of 
people who are on the business development side or the sales side. And then you will find once the project has been signed up, you need to find out who are the people who are going to execute it. So execution will also have multiple challenges, right? From designing of the plan, from the procurement of the equipment, and then constructing the whole thing and then finally operating it. So you need to have people who can potentially take care of that aspect. And then we will have people who are going to also finance. So you need to also go back to the banks and get your whole project financed. I think it's just, yeah. So multiple things have to, it's like a full business. You can't say that I will do this, I will not do this, etc. So it's a, just, a, I think, a, a full organization that you have to build around this. So every project uh, needs to be financed. L like you would not use your own equity capital for... You have, to, you have to use the equity to construct the plant, but eventually you also need to take it to the banks to get the funding done. Because with 100% equity, things may not be as attractive. Okay. And it'll scale very slowly then, because then you are constrained by how much equity you have. Correct. And your returns will always be suboptimal. Mm. Okay. And uh, so what you explained to me, the, the uh, commercials for that first college project, it seems like the payback starts only after about eight years or like you spent 75 lakhs. Yeah, and you were... so, correct. So you will probably just recover the money in the first six, seven years and then you make your returns. Th that sounds uh, low. Uh, or is it the norm uh, or like that's normally the norm in the infrastructure projects so typically the contract periods are 15 to 25 years the depending on the contract duration your payback will vary from five to six seven eight years and then you actually make the returns okay, okay. so infrastructure projects by nature are like long-term revenue Correct. projects Correct. That's, okay. that, that's the whole thing that you have a long-term thing but you always look at the full duration IRR you don't look at like the what it looks like in first year or second year. The assumption being that the whole contract will last. So this is basically for investors who want long-term low-risk opportunities because once you've installed a physical infrastructure, then that's not going anywhere. They can't. The customer can't just replace you. So so your your commercial risk is much lower. Correct, correct. That's the basic premise of the whole thing. Of course, assumptions in some cases will not be that true. Okay. So uh, tell me about the the first institutional fundraise. Then when that happened, uh, like. What scale were you at? What how, what was the installed capacity? It, I, I guess growth for you would be measured in terms of megawatts of capacity, installed capacity. Like like what are the metrics you would show to investors? Yeah, yeah. So I think the capacity is one parameter. Capacity is one parameter. And uh, obviously you need to ascertain at the project level that every project remains profitable because every project is a unit by itself. So you will keep on growing that thing. And then I think you're close to something like two megawatt when we got the funding round done by I squared capital, which was the private. Ad. But before that, we also released some debt from Reliance Capital before even they came in. The, everything was sort of proven at that time that there is a customer who wants to buy the solution. There is a banker who wants to fund it. There is an implementation which is possible. So when you are going to the investors, you need to show all the things that this is a doable thing. And how much did you raise from I squared? So we went to them to raise around $20, $25 million. And they came back, we want to give you $150 million. Wow. <laughs> okay. So that was a, nobody says no to that. Uh, but I just wanted to understand, okay, like, why do you want to actually commit more? I think the couple of reasons that they said that uh, we want to build this as a reasonably large platform. 
And second, that uh, I think we trust the team that you will be able to do a good job. So we don't want you to keep on coming back or going to other people for raising money at future date. So probably this is thought like this is a too good an opportunity. So why don't we just put all our money there rather than somebody else? Come. So uh, I squared is what? Is it like a typical VC or is it more infrastructure? Yeah, it's a infrastructure fund. And, uh, which is based out of US. At that time, it was around $3 billion. Now they're close to $20 billion. Fairly large sum now. Okay. And I guess that that uh, would have meant that they would have got a majority stake or something like that when, when they put it. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. So I think that was one of their key drivers that obviously these guys are coming with like a two crore of capital, equity capital, and I'm putting 1,000 crores. So <laughs> balances of the are completely tilted in their favor. But at the same time, the way you balance is because you are going to run the whole thing. So the, the success of their money depends on your efforts. So you have to find out a balance between the two. Right, right. Okay. So tell me how the trajectory changed then once that deal got signed. You know, tell me the story from there. Yeah, so the couple of things happened. One thing happened was that, one thing that happened was, one thing that actually happened was that provided access to the capital and that made it feasible for us to really go out in the market with much more confidence because earlier we were always like thinking about okay if i sign it where the capital is going to come from the first second it became easier for us to get and hire more people to build in-house capabilities some of things which were getting outsourced at that time you could build some of those things as the in-house capability third I squared as a as a firm. I think is a is a great investor, and they brought in quite a bit of corporate governance and the best practices, which helped the company to really scale up. So it's not like a really dumb capital type of. Mm-hmm. What were those uh, things that were getting outsourced, which you wanted to b- bring in house? Give me an example. So for example, the construction capabilities, some of the procurement capabilities, things like that. So whatever you want to build and see, like what are the capabilities that we need internally to scale up. Those types of things, building the internal monitoring systems, like how can we really evaluate the performance of all our plants, those types of things. Okay. Tell me about the the technology that goes into setting up a plant. Like, like what are the, there is of course the physical infrastructure. You would need those photovoltaic receptors, I guess that they're called, which absorb the sunlight and stop to me about Okay, so just talk to me about the whole, you know, for an outsider who doesn't understand how this works, like, you know, how how sunlight is converted into electricity, how that electricity is then. Not that I can tell you all the scientific and the technical thing around it, but essentially these are like the photovoltaic cells. So as the irradiation or the sunlight falls on these cells, so there is a movement of these electrons within that thing and that starts creating in electric current and that electric current is captured and then you this is generated in the form of dc power then you use an inverter to convert this into an ac and then ac power is something which you consume in your house's daily so it's as simple as that if you like to hear stories of founders then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion dollar businesses just search for the founder thesis podcast on any audio streaming app like spotify ghana apple podcasts and subscribe to the show but you would have put in you know like iot devices which would be giving you data to help you optimize utilization or or 
even for yeah, like <laughs> the billing and things. So tell me about like those pieces of technology in this. I think those are those are the important pieces when you're trying to do anything at scale. So for this business is also we were expecting this to become at scale because of the simple reason that if you're working in a very distributed format of a plant, working with a lot of customers, then you need to have a system where you are able to scale up with the help of technology and not necessarily dependent on the manpower because that's like a absolutely unworkable thing because that is not going to really take you very far. So the first thing or the thing that we started doing from the very initial stages was to implement the ERP system, implement the monitoring system to reduce the overall human power dependence put all our systems and processes in that format that you are actually able to implement the plants in a schedule which is completely monitorable. We are able to monitor the performance, monitor the progress of the construction of the plants and to do that with a minimal amount of manpower. So those were the things that we started putting the ERP systems and the IoT systems in the plant so that we could actually scale it up. Of course, course, there are many, many details in that one and probably not really, may not be that much of interest to your listeners, not too many, but, uh, and these are very details also, a lot of details there. Like basically, uh, this investment uh, would help you to reduce time and money. Yeah, basically to scale up the business. Now, scaling up the business is one part that one can keep on setting up the plants in a, in a very manual and a, with a brute force type of a thing that I keep on growing it linearly. One project I get, I put four people behind it. I get next one, I put another four people behind it. Or can I do 50 projects with say 10 people? So that's where the management comes into picture. So there can be two ways of using the using the capital. One to just put it very linearly and not so efficient manner. Other is to use some of the system process and technology to make it very, very efficient. And and how did you make it efficient? Like system processes. So you put the teams, team structures, the systems, the uh, technology part of it. So everything has to work as like a full jigsaw puzzle or like a clockwork type of a thing. So everything feeds into each other. So it's a good mix of the people and technology that you need to create along with the processes so that people can actually implement it. Mm. Without yeah, essentially, like like you would have created like a playbook for installing a new project, and and therefore that playbook could then be digitized into a workflow, and then it was just about checking right. each step, this step done, this step done, this step done, and whenever there's a deviation, it would show up in some sort of a report that uh, this is beyond in your the dashboard. You're able to see what is happening, which are the projects which are falling behind, those types of things. So you start managing by exceptions, not managing by rule. And how do you do maintenance of a plant? Like once a plant is set up, does it need maintenance? How does that happen? So of course the plant needs maintenance. So there is like a very basic type of a cleaning that needs to be done of the panel. That's the one part of it. To maintain that the panels are able to absorb as much irradiation as it can. Because ultimately that is your raw material. And if there is dust on the panel, you will not be able to absorb it. The second part... So this would be like a daily cleaning, this, uh, what you're talking about. Not daily, you need to do it like at a at some set frequency and that's where again we use the IoT in that thing to actually monitor how much loss is happening because of the dust and what is the cleaning cost and what is the cleaning cost. At some stage these curves cross each other. 
So that is the right frequency to go for any particular plant. You can't just simply say, I will start cleaning it every day because then the cost becomes too high. Or I will not clean it for two months because the cost is high. But then the loss may be too high. You start using technology in that format. Mm, okay. Uh, you were telling me the other things needed for maintenance. So when is this uh, like cleaning the dust? But the other is that you have productive maintenance to make sure that all your cables, connectors, your structures, etc. are intact. And do a like a six-monthly testing of those things, those parameters. Okay. And, and this would be a manual process, obviously, this kind of six-monthly testing. Yeah, so that will be a preventive maintenance will be more like a SLA driven that, okay, this is the checklist to be checked for people to go and do it. Again, the use of technology so that people are routinely informed that now you need to go to this plant, now you need to go to this plant, then once you go to the plant, fill this checklist. Right, right. So so only these these are the two things which are needed for from a maintenance perspective. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless there is something other thing happens, like there is some major breakdown somewhere, some inverter is pumped or things like that. Okay, the electrical failure, like the Equipment failure, basically. Yeah. If some equipment failed, then that's a different issue. Okay. So uh, tell me the, the growth part then once I squared invested. Like, you know, you had, you told me two megawatts at that. So point. I squared invested in 2015, June, June. And then from that point, we kept on growing. I think the first year we were like some 20, 30 megawatt, probably 30 or 40 megawatt. And the next year we became some 70, 80 megawatt. And the third year, we started setting up the larger projects. And then you're like crossing almost 200 megawatt. And by 2018, we were in the age of around 300 megawatt. And that's when the discussions with Petronas started happening. In between also, there were some other potential buyers, but Petronas was the most serious one. And then we started discussing with them. They started discussing around somewhere mid of 2018 and took almost nine months to complete the whole thing by 2019 March. And at that time, we were like 275 megawatt. So because I squared was private equity, so it was very clear from very early days, I guess, that eventual goal would be for an exit for them, right? Like, is that why the, the talks were happening around the sale? Or I mean, the IPO could also have been one route or staying private with I squared also could have been one route. Like why uh, the, you know, why was this option getting explored? So the, you know, eventually private equity by definition remains something which they need to return capital to their own investors, to their own LPs. So they have to exit at some stage. Now, what the right kind of exit is, what the time of exit is, depends on the type of business and the type of industry and the opportunity that are there. From a company perspective, like Amplus, probably you need to find out a home of your own. So whether it happens as a standalone entity or whether it becomes by a merger with a strategic player. So I think to make your home of your own, you need to become fairly large and do an IPO, etc., etc. So those options always remain open. But at times, if you find somebody who can provide you enough capital to continue your growth and also maintain your independence and identity, I think that's not a bad out. So, yeah, I was saying for, for Petronas, the idea must have been to diversify into green energy. Yeah, so if you look at from Petronas' perspective, it's an oil and gas company and say fossil fuel company. And there's been a significant movement towards all of the large companies to do something about the climate change. And so much more pressure on the oil and gas companies, whether you look at a Shell or a Total or Petronas or anybody else. And so people are being forced by their 
shareholders and the finances that you have to do something. And that's where I think Petronas also took a call that we want to go ahead with this thing. And then they decided that you want to do to renewables. So they looked around across Asia, zero down on India. Probably they met some 20 companies in India. And finally, zero down on Amplus that this is a transaction that we want to do. Okay. And so, you know, what are the kind of customers who, who are, you know, uh, from the 2 watt to 300 megawatt journey when Petronas acquired, you must have figured out like who are the customers who are most likely to go for this kind of an arrangement? You know, what are those key factors which make it a successful arrangement for a customer? So tell me about that. Like, I think the type of customers that typically you will find in this segment are the multinational companies. Because for them, the green energy is one criteria, one important criteria for them to show that they are again doing something about the renewable energy or the car carbon offset. So those were the initial adopters. But as the things became more commonplace, some of the larger Indian companies started coming into the picture saying that we also are open to this thing. But from our customer base, probably is still 70-75% electricity sold to multinational companies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So uh, the green tag is is like the biggest factor to drive sales, like, like companies which want a green tag. Green tag is green tag is something which starts to like where that's where people really start to look at this thing. But then as it moves down to the operations people and the people who are handling the PNL, for them the cost also is a parameter. So if I say that I will give you green energy, but I will charge you one rupee more, they are no takers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I say I will give you green energy and you say one rupee, there are many takers. This is that. I mean, what I am wondering is if, as a business, I am saving money for free, literally. I mean, there is no capital capital outlay from my side which is needed. Then why? Isn't this a much more common place? So it is It is getting common. It was like for various reasons, people were not adopting it. So some of the reasons people have been thinking about, will it get further cheap? Will it get cheaper? That is one reason. Second reason, a lot of the Indian companies don't end up doing it. Should we do it ourselves? Oh, okay. okay. Rather than somebody else making this money, should we do it ourselves, right? And I think these are the two main reasons, apart from just the simple management inertia. Because not on the priority list. Right, right. Your, your clients would have to be like large enterprise clients only. This, I mean, the, the, those are the kind of clients which you would focus on, right? Like, Correct. From our perspective, from the security of our investment perspective, that is an important. L- like what is the size of companies that you would typically focus on? Like. We don't go by the size of the companies, we go more by the rating of a company, not so much of the credit rating, because credit rating is one part of it. We go something completely internally, which is like the creating a credit profile of every customer and saying that this is something somebody who is acceptable to us or not. So because this can be only one criteria, we don't even look at the whether it's a profit making or loss making. For example, if you look at someone like an Amazon in India, it's a loss making entity. So if I put one simple criteria that company should be making profit, then you never end up doing for Amazon. But can we do for Amazon? Absolutely, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no okay. one single answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
why do you do this due diligence? Did you like burn your fingers where some customer became an... No, to avoid burning the fingers, to avoid burning the fingers. This is it's pretty obvious that, right? You are setting up the plant for someone which is dedicated for them. And if this person doesn't pay you, then what do you do? Because your payback will only start after seven, eight years. So you no, need even to... in the first two or three years, whenever, even if it doesn't pay, then who is at risk? We are at risk. Before you want to make sure that this guy is good in terms of his corporate governance, his own business is strong, and he has all the intentions to pay. And then obviously you sign the contract. In a worst case scenario, one can go for a legal route. But you don't want to take that route. Right. So what if uh, a business goes bankrupt where you have an arrangement with them? Then is it like pay for use only? So if they stop using, if they stop drawing electricity, then... Well, if they if they go out of the business, right? So if somebody's business gets shut down, so we always tell them that we are your partners. So if you are shutting down your business in India and you have no other claim to no other place to relocate this plant, then we are happy to let you go off free, free of cost. We'll take away your plant. No problems. So that's where our diligence comes into picture that to make sure that these are the guys who will remain in business. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how did uh, things change once Petronas came in? And Petronas is like now, like a, f- a f- is it like fully owned by Petronas or like? Is yeah, yeah. Now owned by. And how much did the value Amplus at? So I don't, uh, I can't really tell you, but it's in the public domain. Yes, yes. Okay. So right, uh, and you know, so how did? So tell me the story once Petronas came in. Like, how did things change after that? I think the, one of the things which Petronas liked about Amplus was the overall work culture. And we take a lot of in the work culture in terms of how people are, are treated and how people are given the responsibility here. So we have some of the very interesting practices like we had like unlimited leave. We had a no check-in, check-out time type of thing. No fixed, we had things like, okay, you can work from home as many days as you want. This is like on pre-COVID I'm talking, not post-COVID. COVID, everybody's talking about this. These are the things which are happening at that time. So we literally had no leave register. So for someone like Petronas, it was like a good culture shock. And But at the end of the day, what they started liking about the company was that in the company, everybody was so empowered. Everybody was so much aware of what's happening. They said that this is the company which will really grow. And this is the company where we feel most comfortable in terms of the culture. Because business, many companies do. But where do you get the right culture? Okay. And that 300 megawatt when Petronas acquired, what is that number today? Did you continue to grow during COVID or uh, I'm assuming? Yeah, yeah, we just continue. But we are now over, I think, 1100 or 1100 of megawatts. So it's almost three times of when Petronas came in. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's like massive growth, like in the last two years, basically. Yeah, yeah, last three years. So, so we continued with our own thing. And I think during COVID, etc. didn't really impact us that much because we kept business largely as much normal as we could. But I think uh, I have a firm belief that you just can't stop. You have to find out the opportunity during these times also because there is a way to do business either you can just sit back and start blaming the world okay chinese have 
put the covid here and this is happening yes, 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 yes. the government is not doing this government is not giving us money or you find out a way to do this. so how how did you change the way you do business to, to you know to deal with the covid situation so i think the initial few days were little suddenly because the lockdown like many other things uh, was very sudden and therefore what we we immediately started getting the at least the top 20% of the team together onto the onto the zoom calls and started discussing about what can be done now that you can't really move out of the house so we started working on some of the pending internal systems and processes that can be make them more efficient during this period of whenever it lasts till we are not even allowed to go out so we will start working on some of those things which have been which would not have been done in those normal times so those things started taking shaping up so things started getting automated things started happening people still remain like on a i think we used to have like almost uh, two or three times in a week the phone calls people were having the calls in their own smaller groups so things kept on moving didn't stop so whatever we could do without interacting with the outside world so those things you fix so whatever is in and then as things started little bit opening up we started moving out our list of about construction operations resume electricity was also an essential commodity so therefore the movement was easier for our people so things so things kept on moving and from a consumer perspective from the customers also started realizing that during this period we need to find out every possible way of or saving so a lot of people for whom the solar was little bit at the back of the burner came in front and they also started deciding about the whole thing i think overall you have to find out and be in front of the customer with your solutions even during the offer times you have to find out what what works Mm-hmm. Okay. The customer demand did not see a dip. See the interaction obviously saw a dip, and but there is a more receptiveness. Let's say, for example, there is a corporate park where your plant is installed, and because of COVID, there is work from home, and so therefore ACs are not running. For example, so there is less power consumption. So what happens in yeah. such a scenario? That, that that hit is yours, like the less power consumption. So we have this facility called net metering. So whatever electricity is being generated gets pumped back to the grid. So we get the credit of that in the later period. Now, if there was no consumption for one year, that would have been a loss. But because things kept on going up and down so that electricity got consumed eventually but in some cases like the educational institutions like the colleges schools etc which remained shut there it became a problem so in some of those cases we had to let go of that electricity like when you send the uh, power to the grid you get paid for it or uh, your you get uh, meter to its credit whatever electricity you are sending out you get the electricity in lieu of that okay 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 got it, got it. so so you are able to track this and then uh, your customer will still pay you even if they've not used it at that time okay yeah they will use it sometime later okay is there uh, an opportunity for excess power to uh, also be sold to other customers or back to the grid like if there is a, a plant which is making more than what the customer needs does that ever happen that is not allowed 
in the okay in the regular okay. system and do you also so you don't really need to worry much about storage right because whatever excess is getting produced will go to the grid and therefore that is it is really the storage yes right 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 yeah it's like a virtual storage yes that's right okay 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 and so uh, what what do you see happening today like you know that 300 to 1100 jump uh, is this largely driven by the uh, cost cutting drive or uh, is it that more companies are now getting environment conscious and there is that whole esg drive where i think companies... more of the esg drive more of the esg drive people getting more comfortable with the technology higher adoption rates so we see like mix of everything mm 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 okay because i think esg uh, is esg significant in india like i know in like in the west like if you have esg credentials then as an organization you can raise funds with lower rate of interest and your cost of borrowing comes down if you have esg credentials because there are uh, lenders who are willing to yeah uh, subsidize you for esg uh, is that the case in india also is esg big in india yeah, what are there the- are some there are some funds which are like the esg funds right and uh, so these esg funds are investing and providing capital to the companies which are more focused on the esg side but i think it's a little bit of a difficult thing to measure so the measurement of the esg remains a challenge but of course there is a global and as well as in india there is a there is a good interest in the esg uh, type of way and esg goes beyond just simple renewable energy this includes so many other things mm. so what do you think is the in the roadmap for amplus now you know what what's the path ahead are you looking to also diversify outside india or into other spaces beyond rooftop solar that has already started in the petronas uh, even before petronas we had gone into middle east with petronas coming in we obviously are able to provide more services in malaysia southeast asia Or going forward, Petronas is also considering setting up a dedicated unit for handling the clean energy transition, which will include renewable, which will include electric mobility and hydrogen. Therefore, the opportunities for Amplus also in India will be much larger, including things like getting into the utility scale, getting into green hydrogen. We are also doing some work on the electric mobility side. so these are the things which will keep on opening up so we remain a more a player in the energy transition and not necessary with the solar side what are some of those projects you are doing like in mobility or in uh, like you know beyond mobility for example we are providing vehicles to our existing customers like amazon big basket etc saying that okay these are the electric vehicles that you are providing to you. and service again in the sense that we are owning the things and we are giving it on lease to them more so third party operators who provide service to them and this in itself is a pretty large business right like yeah yeah so this is potentially can be a fairly large business as electric mobility becomes more common players this is important for a for a oil and gas company also to understand where their demand is shifting but do you have uh, aggressive plans for this because uh, this by itself can become like a unicorn of its own in a couple of years yeah yeah so i think that the plans are there plans are there depends on the ecosystem because the ecosystem also includes manufacturing of good quality vehicles right right so right if right, that right. ecosystem kicks in only then the adoption and the reliability will be of high level 
unless that happens people won't be able to fund to a very large extent hmm. and uh, what are the other initiatives besides on the mobility we are also working on the residential solar so which becomes like even smaller plants so we are setting up for the sim like the household setting up on their roofs and trying to see how can we give them a product which is uh, more aesthetic as compared to the normal solar plant because this is not something like industrial use this is something for a outdoor can we make it more like a lifestyle type product and we also help them in getting more information about their energy consumption patterns and we make the housing more energy efficient so those are some of the things which we are working at the tail level okay this would need a like a very uh, a different kind of an organization to deal with it right i mean yeah. you would probably need to make it more self service because i mean if you were to maintain it then that might become very expensive like i mean for you to maintain a 1 megawatt plant efficiency is much higher than maintaining like you know multiples yeah yeah so these residential plants we sell we don't uh, sign the ppa there's something additional that we sell as right search okay and we don't get into that electricity for the electricity batch right 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 and uh, what is the cost of this so it depends i think the cost has been varying now i think it's like per kilowatt around 40 45000 and like say for a, a three story building how many kilowatts would they need like regular residential depends on the rooftop available it depends on the rooftop area available we will consume much more than what the rooftop can support okay and is there a government subsidy for like a the government has government has at least said that they want to give 30% subsidy for the residential so so that is available yeah i think that is something which can be definitely available by the individual customers so so this becomes like tesla has that division of rooftop solar so this would be like the indian version of that if you like the founder thesis podcast then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing technology career advice books and drama visit the podium.in that is t h e p o d i u m . i n for a complete list of all our shows before we end the episode i want to share a bit about my journey as a podcaster i started podcasting in 2020 and in the last 2 years i've had the opportunity to interview more than 250 founders who are shaping india's future across sectors If you also want to speak to the best minds in your field and build an enviable network then you must consider becoming a podcaster. And the first step to becoming a podcaster starts with Zencaster which takes care of all the nuts and bolts of podcasting from remote recording to editing to distribution and finally monetization. If you are planning to check out the platform then please show your support for the Founder Thesis podcast by using this link. zen.ai/founderthesis that's zen.ai/founderthesis